What the? Mike, did you pick this? What? Hey, welcome to the Wise Guys Podcast. I'm Dr. Michael Terrian. And I'm Scott Lieb. We're two friends who are following Jesus into the joys and challenges of everyday life. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Scott. It's another fine, rainy winter day in western Pennsylvania. Oh, it's beautiful outside. <laughs> oh, gosh. The impressive oh, gray. The many shades of gray. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so bad. That was a bad reference. It's so bad. That was bad. But but it uh, it's warm, too, so that's kind of weird. It's like, oh, it's, it's it's like 50. It's terrible. Days. But anyway, we're doing a podcast this morning, and that's yeah. terrible. In fact, that's really good. Yeah. That's, so. that's good. Good. Good switch. Yeah. Good cha- transition. There. Thank you. Yeah. So what is uh, the topic of the day? Uh, that's my turn, isn't it? Sure is. I thought it was your turn. <laughs> no. That's no, my turn. It might have been. No, uh, I'm just kidding. I, I came prepared. So uh, today is the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. Ooh. So I thought we should talk about that a little bit, but... I, I also thought I've been thinking about doing this for a long time and, and it occurred to me today would be a great day to do it. But we, we often reference our conversion experiences and maybe it would be kind of uh kind of fun to uh just recount mm. our conversion stories um for each other. Yeah. Um and sort of unpack those experiences a little bit. Yeah. Sort of in light of, of Paul's telling of his conversion experience, mm-hmm. although it well, we get it from I think it was Acts of the Apostles this morning, but um, but yeah, I mean it's a it's actually a really you know it's a big feast day, um, and one of the things that always blows my mind away, really, when I think about it, is what would have happened if Paul hadn't been converted. Um, you know, you think of how the course of history has changed, because yes, true, a very smart guy, indeed. Mm. On his own, you know, in his own right, you could say. Yeah. But he converts, and um, and he brings the gospel to so many places, and he lays the foundation, the theological foundations of our faith in all of his epistles, you know. And it's kind of mind-blowing because you, you think, well, where would the world be today without, you know, Saul of Tarsus and, and his yes to Jesus? And the extent you can't even measure the extent of that impact. I mean, you can't you you can't get your head around it. It's like trying to put your head around how big the galaxy is. Um, and you could say similar things about the conversion of Saint Augustine. Um, and I'm always really intrigued because I think uh, conversion stories are are really an important part of the Christian faith. I think knowing, kind of reflecting on our own conversion, remembering our conversion story and witnessing to other people in and through our conversion stories is a really essential component of the witness of a Christian life and the, and, and the importance of evangelization in the world. Um, So that's what I think it would be kind of fun to unpack that a little bit and then, you know, tell our stories with some of those things in mind. Yeah. I think that uh, just before we do begin that, it's interesting because you know, having gone to a lot of Catholic conferences, um, retreats, things like that, um, you know, I think sometimes people think the the conversion story 
it always has to have this level of like dynamic explosion or drama or yeah like major drama um and it can you know paul's story of course of this blinding light and he admits you know before that he was he was like an uber jew you know like going around and persecuting christians like he because he believed so fervently that what he was doing as a jew was so right right and and you know for him it probably took this massive blind literally blinding experience and and literally also hearing the voice of jesus speaking directly to him um and you know i'd say similar to saint augustine saint augustine was a guy that was like a huge party animal uh and you know and just kind of like maybe hit rock bottom a little bit and was like i got nowhere else to go you know and but i but that's doesn't always have to be the case like i i just want to you know state that like you know that it doesn't always have to be a conversion doesn't have to be this like blinding light or rock bottom kind of experience for people yeah no that's a good point it doesn't always have to be so dramatic or like a sudden shift in fact i think the deeper meaning of the story is really the ongoing process of conversion which Mm, we kind of talked about in our last podcast yeah because that's that's you know we have to persevere in that ongoing transformation of our lives so there's always there's always a genesis point but i do i say to people a lot that sometimes conversion is more like the sun rising you know, the, the sun emerges gradually in mm. the darkness of yeah. our life. That's good. And it takes place over time. Uh, it doesn't have to be like, you know, some kind of eclipsing type of experience, yeah. which is very, you know, sort of apocalyptic. Yeah. Um, and there's still a story to yeah. be told in that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, and even in Paul's case, I mean, Paul's Paul's conversion, that his, you know, his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus was a beginning point. But, I mean, he went out in the desert to try to unlearn and relearn everything that he thought he knew mm. for about three years. And then he had to suffer many, many, many things um, in, in, in a kind of persevering manner um, to complete what was begun on the road to Damascus. You yeah. know, his, yeah. his vision, like, yeah, he got his physical sight back that day, but his his spiritual vision mm, yeah. was something that had to emerge over a lot of time but i i think what i want to focus on is is the importance of of narrating narrating to know how to tell the story cuz even as you were like i can look back when i was younger and the way i told my conversion story then is kind of different than the way i tell it now because i was prone perhaps to grasping at you know a little bit more drama and mm. and than than maybe was really the case, um, and 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 as I mature in my own life and look back on my conversion experience, I actually have more wisdom of actually understanding and knowing where I was in my life at that time. So there's always a process of remembering, and always a process of then sharing that witness of how God shows up, you know, in your life. And I and I think you know before jumping into the stories themselves, I I, I want to say this that that. The thing that always I think is so cool about Paul's conversion is that, you know, he doesn't he doesn't he doesn't give his pedigree like 
you know, he was one of the most gifted students, you know, probably of that time period under the great rabbi in Jerusalem, Gamaliel. And, and uh, so he was a gifted guy and, um, and very zealous and, and very, very righteous in a, in a uh, sort of Jewish mosaic sort of way. And uh, so you, you can't really criticize him so much on that count, he, kind of squeaky clean in that respect but yet at the same time very blind. Mm -hmm. So when he goes to tell his conversion story, from his vantage point, it's actually a very humble story because the man who probably prided himself on being able to see got knocked to the ground and blinded by a light that he couldn't see mm -hmm. um, and, and was spoken a word that he thought he knew. <laughs> mm -hmm. He was the word of God himself that he studied his whole life spoke to him. And he realized that he did not know him. He had to ask him, right. "Who are you, Lord?" Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, and and that's that's not that's more than ironic. Um, that that's humiliating. I would know as a scholar, like that's humiliating. There can be a lot of intellectual pride in <laughs> your degrees yeah. and all the things you've studied, and yet after so many years, you're like, I can't believe I've never seen that before. I never understood that. Mm. So, what I think is beautiful about Paul's conversion story is the fact that he tells the story of of his of his fault and his his sin and his weakness he doesn't give his credentials right yeah. and he and he establishes actually establishes his authority to preach the gospel on the basis of how he had to be treated by mm. god in order to get his attention we see the same thing with augustine you know augustine's confessions i mean this is a very gifted man very gifted, like yeah. one of the most gifted intellects in the history of the world, admitting that for all of his learning, he he didn't get it. And, you know, it's a little child, you know, singing a song and, you know, that draws his attention and, and suddenly he has his conversion. And when he tells the, the, the confession story, it, this, his story in the confessions, again, he's coming from this place of humility, he's coming from this place of weakness, from kind of like proclaiming the hardness of his own heart and how the Lord, what the Lord needed to do to break through to him. Well, the reason I like that is because it gives us a hope. And it's, and it's the thing that's compelling. I think that when we tell other people, we come from a place of vulnerability, humility, self-awareness of how weak we are, and we tell the story of what it took God to break into our life. I don't know what it is exactly, but it has this amazing ability to open a heart. Mm. And I think sometimes when we think about evangelization, we think we have to instruct people in the truth. And we do at some point. But the best way to evangelize is to come from a, a, a position of weakness and to be able to share with other people the story of, of, of you know, how we were mm -hmm. and then how we encountered the Lord and then how the Lord transformed and changed our lives in ways that have, 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 have given us life in a measure that we never could get for ourselves when we were trying on our own. And, um, and that's, you know, I mean, I think that's, that's what it means to be as witnesses. We all have some kind of story, even ones that seem boring, like St. Therese's story seems very boring, she, you know. So, so anyway, I just, I, I think that as we tell our stories, I think just keeping in mind that we all have stories to tell and we need to tell those stories. Mm, yeah. So. Yeah. So, 
How do you want to go? Gosh, yeah. All right. Do you want me to go first then, or do you want to go first? Eh, what a, it's your it's your show today. So <laughs> okay. You choose. Yeah. Why don't you go first? <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> tell the story. I mean, you know, once like, upon a time. Yeah. Like tell it. And yeah, there was a young lad. Um. Yeah, my story is really. Um, well, I'll just tell it, and you can, you know, you can sort of like drill in, drill in, and and ask questions and help break it open. Um, I, I've probably said this before, but I, uh, I, I grew up in a family that was really, um, you know, I I felt like as a as a young person, I I was fairly immersed in. Um, I was familiar with God. I would say that. Familiar with him. Like, you know, a small town, everybody knows each other. It's like a big family. And the church is the center of town, uh, both socially and, you know, like it's mass and stuff like that. Um, and so I, I, I had great relationships with every priest that came through the doors of that church and... So I, you know, when I say um, I was familiar with God. Like I had a, I never, um, I never felt angsty or rebellious against the Lord, you know. And but I also just, you know, I was, I was a, I was a person that was, um, culturally, you know, culturally Catholic. I uh, had some, um. CCD sort of education so I could I could spit out the facts of the faith and that got me through um, that sense of obligation to it um, and being able to sort of fake my way through like talking about God you know to um, so when I but but like I was also God was not something that was generally discussed or talked about or in any way outside really of a Sunday mass experience. So he was sort of always kind of peripherally there, but never really brought in intentionally uh, aside from those moments. And um, there were in the ways that maybe that did happen, there was a Marian shrine up near my house, like a statue of Mary and, and, uh, and so people from the from the town would gather there on Thursdays, but it was like you know mumbling through the rosary, how many fool grace, and um, there wasn't there just wasn't a life of like um, the Lord being it, it, like penetrating and permeating all the other aspects of life. It was just sort of like okay, that's the thing we did on Thursday nights. This is the thing we did on Sundays. So, so sort of a cultural cultural Catholicism, Catholicism kind of a thing, kind of cradle yeah. Catholic and it was cultural like, Catholicism. Yeah, it was, and you know, it was it was an identity that you had, but it, but for me, it didn't really extend. It didn't extend much further than uh, trying to be a good person, you know, trying to avoid the sins so that I wouldn't have to confess them. The big ones. Yeah, yeah, and. Um, you know, so in high school, I'd, I I spent a lot of time uh, partying, you know, um, pushing pushing the boundaries of things without 
being too dangerous about them. You know, like I knew I knew the limits, but I also, you know, in some in some level, I knew that a lot of the stuff that I was doing was like wasn't good for my soul. You know, and uh, but I would just go to confession and rattle off my my sins, and then just go back out and r repeat. You know, like and. Uh, Probably drank more. Wish you went to confession. I did. <laughs> I, I didn't. We never went to confession. Well, we were made. You know, like we were made to do that. And um, so I always use the phrase. My my parents instilled good habits in me. Um, so I'll never deny that. Like I, yeah. I mean, we even if I was even if I had been out drinking and did not roll in to the house until three o'clock, and eight o'clock came on Sunday morning. And I was still, you know, like hungover. I would be in mass, you know, like, and um, <clears throat> but my gosh, there were so many times I went to mass, and I, you know, I'm like up in the balcony. We had a little loft in our small church, and just fooling around, you know, like completely not present to what's going on. And um, but darn it, we were doing the right thing by being there, you know, and uh, so. <clears throat> that's kind of that's kind of like really my my whole high school uh maybe even like much of my college life was like that and uh, I went to St. Vincent and um similar similar kind of thing I was so comfortable around priests that I formed these really good relationships with priests and I worked in campus ministry and helped promote these like events and things like that but um Outside of those things, it was just a lot of fun. Like I, I, I was a person who really just gear, like gravitated towards fun, and and that could be that could be so many different things. Like that's you say that in the past tense. <laughs> it is ongoing. I'll get I'll get to that. But but that was my primary. Like really, that was my primary thing, and it was it was a fun without without really thinking about what I was doing. It was like I was a person that just jumped into something, you know? So, like, uh, yeah, drinking, um, like, you know, sexual stuff. I It was weird. It was I, – I have this weird kind of, like, thing in my life where the Lord spoke to me very – in some kind of way, even though I didn't – I really wouldn't say that I had a, a relationship with the Lord in, in uh, high school. But there was one time in high school – that I was, uh, I hung out with this group of friends, and this one girl that I just had the biggest crush on was there, you know, and and I was trying to turn on the charm so so badly, you know, to like get her to to notice me, and um, and the Lord really in a in a strange way just kind of put on my heart that I like He had a plan for me to not. Um, to not be with anybody in, until I was married, you know, like, and, uh, you know, and it, it like, I was like, what? I, I couldn't understand what that meant, but I just had this conviction in my heart. And I think that was probably also, uh, fed by my brother, my brother, um, you know, getting his, his girlfriend pregnant and he was my best friend. I was like, oh my gosh, I do not want that to happen to me. But, um, they're, they're happily married. But anyway, doesn't matter. So the point is I had these weird, like weird things where I think the Lord was trying to break through and speak to me in different ways. So I, again, like I was a guy who would push the boundaries of things without, without crossing that major line, you know? 
and whether it was whether it was um, drinking, sex, smoking weed, you know, like th- that kind of a that kind of a thing. Like I okay, dabbled. German. Yeah, I dabbled. Sense of responsibility. Yeah. Moral responsibility. Dabbled in yeah. many things yeah. without putting myself too far across the edge. Yeah. And that's not that's not bad at all. I mean, that's that's good. I mean, you know, you should. Be thankful. I'm for, th- yes. For oh my gosh! It could have. There's so many. Th- no, believe me. There were so many times when that when that uh, that ledge was. Yeah. I was facing it, and I thank God. You know, even I, I thought it was probably just me making good decisions. But I can look back and be like, man, like my guardian angel, the Lord was was present in me, even though I was not aware of it. So, um, but anyway, I would say college is is. Towards the end of college is where I really started to, and I think it was because of the experiences, the like, the student masses, uh, the conversations that I was having with priests, really started to open up uh, this little space in my heart that that the Lord has a place in there all the time, and not just in little pockets of experiences, you know. But but I it was still such a fledgling kind of thing. So then, and I want to point out that this whole time, uh, you know, I have a history where I I stumbled upon. And I probably mentioned this in a previous podcast, but I, I was like ten years old, and me and my brothers stumbled upon a stash of my my uncle's pornography, and um, that left that left this seared image because I'm I'm a very visual kind of person, and. Uh, in a hyper kind of way. And so that was something. So this whole time through high school, college, I also have this little monkey on my back of pornography. Like I just um, could, you know, I don't want to say that I was addicted to it, but uh, I was, uh, you know, I wouldn't ever turn it down. And so I'm like, I, and I felt it just kept piling up where it was like this monkey on my back, like a, a weight of shame, you know? And um, so at the same time, all these things are happening in this crazy storm. Like the Lord is opening up this little space, but I'm still so like a slave to, um, you know, pornography and this private kind of sin, you know, that that was hidden in the dark, the dark areas of my life. And, um, and, so anyway, went to went to grad school in Denver, and um, and then met uh, you know. Uh, so I'm bringing again, still still working through all of this. Stumble upon uh, a mass that was uh, celebrated by the archbishop at the time that was there, and uh, through some really incredible circumstances, we ended up forming a friendship, and uh, we got together. Uh, to you know, to have fun and to chat, and he play racquetball, play racquetball, and uh, and he was pretty good. <laughs> uh, he used to kill I don't, you. I don't, he you. crushed me. It was terrible <laughs> because I thought that I was so good. But but what he opened up for me through this friendship, and that's the thing. It was just like it was just a normal relationship and friendship that people would build through shared experiences and having fun and you know, really deep conversations about things. And, um, but, but the, those conversations were about the, the bigger and greater things of life, you know, like m- 
my spiritual health, you know, where, like, how did I feel inside, you know? And I got to share with him all those things about, you know, feeling angsty and, and shame and, and, um, in my struggles like that, but my desire to like get beyond that somehow. And so he just through our friendship and his, his experience, you know, his like life experiences and knowledge and things like that, he was able to really like guide me, um, into this challenge of, of going deeper. And, uh, and the thing that was so amazing about it that he represented to me is that who he was and how he lived his life was so attractive to me. Like I wanted that. I want, I wanted what he had. And I did not have that at that time. Like I, I was struggling. I was trying to grasp it. I was so self-reliant thinking that I could will myself to like make these things go away. Um, like I'd will myself to be a better person. And, and so, um, in the end, you know, he really began that major process. And when I say began it, like our relationship was over, especially like seeing each other out there on a regular basis, was over like a, I don't know, five, six year period. It wasn't this short thing. And so then I get back to Pennsylvania and I'm, I'm literally like so inspired and so on fire to do, to do whatever it is. Like I, I was really kind of the beginning that super zealous sold out for the Lord, like, I'll do whatever you want, God. And, um, and so at those same times, the things that he was talking about led me to, to really go deeper in, in my prayer, to really open myself, to, to listen to what, how the Lord is calling me. And, um, and also be open to the change of life and the change in my habits that, that God was calling me to. So, he, uh, in the, you know, like the whole, the pornography thing there, there reached a point, there was kind of a bottoming, bottoming out point in that where I just, um, led to some, some circumstances that where I, I felt hopeless and a level of despair and just a lack of control that, uh, that I couldn't take anymore. And I, uh, just yeah, just broke down. And, um, that led me to, to, you know, to really surrender and trust in the Lord in a way that I never did before. And, uh, and even that healing process of that took a long time, many years. And, uh, but, um, that kind of total surrender, that act of total surrender, um, started to permeate into every area of my life, like my relationship with my wife, um, my work, you know, my work relationship. It just started to surrender all everything and to just allow the Lord to lead me into everything, which led me away from a lucrative job into youth ministry, you know, where I, I was like, God, I don't care. Like, you'll provide for me. I trust that you'll provide for me. And um, again, that kind of turning from from who I was to that level of trust was a decade long process. So, so what you're like, let me let me dig into that because I think that's a, a really important point. So you have this kind of conversion experience because you know you really you come into a new relationship with the Lord through 
the the you know the mediation of you know the Archbishop of Denver over a course of three to five years, like he's discipling you, he's he's setting your sights on higher things, he's yeah. calling you out of thing you know a certain certain aspects of the way you were living into a new way of living. So, but it you know you you don't just sort of step out of the darkness and immediately into the the, the noonday sun. <laughs> no, no. It, what what you're saying is is that 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 in that experience with the Lord, you know, there's a shift in where what place the Lord has in your life, but then begins a process that takes you know many many years you know not just a decade but obviously we're still working on stuff, oh right yeah but it's but but that because i think sometimes and the reason why i'm calling this out is because i think sometimes it's it's easy when we're a new convert that we have a lot of excitement a lot of zeal yes and yet you know we haven't the the inside of ourselves hasn't been really reformed yet or transformed yet totally uh we might think differently about certain things but we can become very discouraged um because we keep falling back into old sins even though we have we hold ourselves to a set of convictions yeah did that happen for you like what my gosh did you did you did you did your moment of despair and that bottoming out happen kind of after your conversion or uh i would say yes it did I and it's because it's because of exactly what you're saying. I th- I think I, you know, I had this newfound love of the Lord, but um it didn't change everything immediately. You know, like I I it didn't? No, and it and the and Lord did flip a switch and suddenly you went from oh, sinner to saint. I wish. Uh no, I don't because I there there is a definite I can look back and be like there was definitely a um a beauty in that lesson. And yeah, so I I I still it was like the Lord need the, he needed me to to continue to open up my heart in ways that I I didn't even, you know like I was like I was so inspired. I was so on fire for this, you know, new kind of relationship I had with him, but it's like any friendship. Yeah, like no that was idea. just the beginnings of a friendship. Yeah. When you meet somebody and you're like you know, you start you have you have one meeting and you're you find all these things you have in common, you know, and uh, and you're like, wow, that you know, like you just that's awesome. But you're not best friends yet, you know. Like, it takes getting together and continuing the conversation, finding out all the, the not only the good things and the great things that you share in common and that you, you know, love together, but also the things that you disagree with and the thing, you know, like struggling through that, like, and that's. I can't say that enough. Like I didn't, I didn't realize that that kind of a. It when I say a relationship with the Lord, it truly is a relationship in the same way that we build a relationship with with another person. Like it is, it's it's got these super hot joys, you know, like and and high points and inspirational moments. But there's also these times in the valley, and it's not because the it's not because like the Lord is putting us in the valley. It's always because I'm in, I'm putting myself in the valley, but he's there with me. You're talking about other friends though, not me, right? We never, (laughs) we've never had any valley experiences. No, well, (laughs) not, not really. I mean, we've always been able to talk through any sort of like disagreements at times, but no, but that, so yeah. So I would say that the rock bottom point was like the Lord saying, 
this is it. Like, you you really need to you you got to stop controlling. You got to stop. You got to stop relying on yourself, and really rely on me. Like, and really let me do the work that I need to do in you. And and I it, at that point I was like, I I can't. Yeah, you're right. Like I I can't change myself. And no matter how hard I'm trying. And, um, and, and I just want to point out it's because it's interesting because this is post conversion, right? This is right. This is yeah. This is after you've made the decision really to follow, you know, the Lord in a much more intentional way. Yes. It 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 it's later, maybe much later. Yeah. That because I think sometimes again, I just want to like we can be very filled with a lot of zeal and a lot of enthusiasm and whatnot, and get sort of tricked into thinking that I'm gonna. I'm gonna clean myself up. I'm gonna right, right. I'm gonna put my house in order. Yeah. You know, and make myself in a sense kind of presentable and worthy to God. Yeah. Because I love God now. Right. And uh and and we forget we forget that um it it actually doesn't work that way. It didn't work that way before your conversion. Like there were lots of people working on you yeah. before. Yeah. Some you knew about, many others you didn't. Right. You know. Um, you don't know how, like how much your parents were praying for you at night sure. when they were watching. You know, you yeah. grow up, and right. you don't know that they may not have ever verbalized it. Right now that I'm a parent, I'm like, oh, the kids have no idea how much I pray for them. Yeah. But uh, and so there's always that experience of grace that's 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 working on you. Yes. But you come to a, a certain awareness that you have to make a shift in your life and you have to move in a different direction, but yeah. you still don't know, have any idea what the Lord has to do in you. Yeah. And 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 so hopefully we're humble enough and and and, um, and docile enough to follow where he leads, but yeah. I don't think most of us really are. We we try to do it ourselves. Totally. And uh, and then and then we run up against another wall which is another stage of the conversion journey, which is to let go of self-reliance, you know, un, you know, and and um, a kind of willful sort of spiritual voluntarism where it's like I'm gonna do it, right? Right. You know, I I'm gonna show I you, know Lord, you're by my side. But I know I'm gonna do it. I know what I I'm gonna do for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. Look at what I'm doing for you. Yeah. You know, gave... it's it's amazing. It, like that. Um, I had to, and I would say it, it like once I really like s fell in love with the Lord in a sense, like bef you know, w w like in Denver at the end of my time in Denver before I came back, that was just the jumping off point, you know, like, and but uh, yeah, I was immature, like I still had a spiritual immaturity, like it took years and years, like you're saying, that bottoming out point happened years later. But it's because I didn't I didn't really know the Lord's mercy the way the Lord wanted me to know his mercy. You know, like it took a long time for me to really, really understand that. And when I did, holy mackerel, like, but again, years, took years of relation, like constantly building that relationship. So, I, you know, like that jumping off point was the start of building that relationship. And, you know, praise God that it was so, so good that I never, I never thought of going back, you know, like I, I never thought of like, well, this isn't working or this, you know, like that was, that was, f it wasn't real or it was like, there was, there was a not going back point. Like that was a point of no return. And, um, 
but it had to be nurtured and matured. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, we don't know the road ahead, really. Right. Yeah. No, that's good. All right. Yeah. Is that that's that's the bulk that's, of it, that's, and that's it's the just essence of it. now I feel I feel like a wise a bit wiser. You know, I'm always becoming wiser, but it, but it's more like there's a steadfastness to it now. Yeah. Like there's a there's kind of like. A, like it is a rock that could never be moved, you know, like I, any situation, I have a depth of of relationship with the Lord that can't be changed, you know. And right. and yet, yeah, the rock that you stand on is is always a daily invitation to keep a hundred percent. Well, yeah, because yeah. I'm I'm always he's yeah. always making me aware yeah. of new things. Yeah. That I wasn't aware of before that he wants to work yeah. on, and yeah, I always call it. Uh, I always use the analogy of the tap roots. You know, like I'm a, I, you know, I like to garden, and dandelions are the bane of my existence, <laughs> and uh, they have deep tap roots, and they're hard to get rid of. You know, and I feel like our moral and spiritual journey is like it's like trying to weed out a bed of dandelions. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. it, you're you, you know the surface can look pretty good for a while, right, right. <laughs> and then all of a sudden. They just pop back up again. It's amazing. And you dig down in there, and then, you know, you kind of pull on that root, and you think you got it, and then you hear the snap, you know, and you're <laughs> like, dang, it's going gonna, it's gonna <laughs> to yeah. be back. You know, yeah. but that, and that's that's the way it can be sometimes. So it, that process of conversion, because there's, there's deeper layers of our woundedness and our dysfunction and our sinfulness that we, that we keep, the Lord keeps showing us. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's the same old thing. Yeah. It's just. It's just we don't realize how deep that taproot goes into our hearts and into our soul. And, totally, uh, and yeah. We just got to keep digging around it and yeah, tilling the soil and you know taking good care of the mm. our soul. Yeah. So that um, you know, even if they do pop back up, they're easy to pull out again. Yes. You know? so, yeah. It becomes easier to pull it out the yeah. the more this goes on. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Go. I can't wait. Okay. So you know. Um, you know, I would say my backstory as a child is is pretty similar to yours. I mean, you know, I grew up in a just a pretty solid uh, culturally Catholic home. My parents were very committed to to the faith and and very devout, but um, but we didn't talk about a lot of things. You know, we we went to mass, said grace at meals, tried. We had a season of time in our family. We had family prayer every morning, but that didn't last forever. <laughs> it lasted a couple couple years, you know. It, it, you know, we just, but we were, you know, we were Catholic, and I went to Catholic schools my whole life, and and so that's, you know, I, I had a very good, you know, for the 1970s, you know, and everything that was going mm-hmm. on in the world yeah. and in the church in the 70s, I, I had a pretty good background, you know, I had a good foundation, I and I just, and I think that's an important part of my story, because, because, because I, I fell off that foundation for a, for a time. And that's 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 a big part of my story. So it's like it's hard because I I don't I can't I don't have excuses like well, you know I just grew up in a really broken home and sure, had a hard right, life yeah. and that's why you know it's like no I just made some really really bad choices, mm-hmm. um, but but I would say that as a child I was I was um, you know I was always a pretty spiritually conscious person from the youngest age. And I, I always like to start here with the fact that my mother taught me this prayer that I prayed every night before going to bed, whether she was there to lead it or not, which is very simple. It just goes, Dear God, I love you. Please help me each day to be kind and gentle and quick to obey. And, you know, 
I said it every night, you mm. know. And I also had I had a very vivid imagination as a child, and I used to um, I I was I used to be afraid of the dark kind of thing, you know. I was just I didn't like scary movies. I didn't like dark places. I um, very sensitive kid in that way. And uh, and I remember, you know, my parents would always have the news on, and I was just terrified of hmm. what was going on in the world. So I had another prayer that I eventually kind of acquired, and uh, on my own. And it was uh, at the end of that prayer, I'd then say, "And dear God, please don't let there be any murderers, robbers, or rapists out, <laughs> and please wow. don't let my house burn down." Oh, and because uh, that's all you heard about on the news every <laughs> night at five o'clock. Oh and my it, gosh! Yeah. So as a five-year-old child, I prayed a lot. And I have to say that I, I have I have memories of feeling God's, you know, presence in my life. A presence, a protection. That's kind of the way. It wasn't really yeah. personal, but I just right. felt I felt a certain protection uh, through the experience of those prayers. Now, it's funny. We never prayed the rosary, never learned the rosary, never prayed all these devotions that so many Catholics, you know, pray. I never knew any of those. No, you know, we, I, it just, I had a... I had a picture of Jesus next to my bed after I had my first communion. That was a gift, mm. and I kept that, you know, like over my, yeah. over my bed, like, yeah. you know. But I didn't even have a crucifix in my room. I mean, we, you know, we just. So it, it's just my heart was my heart was just knew where to reach, uh, when I was uh, frightened, yeah. and and that would be sort of like the foundations of my faith, and mm -hmm. and you know I went to Catholic school, and you know I had a 1970s Catholic school education. I mean, it was good and some ways and awful in others in terms of what I didn't learn, but I learned good things too. And, uh, you know, so I just kind of came up through the ranks of Catholic school education, Sacred Heart, you know, wore my school uniform with pride. <laughs> I had to walk through three other schools to get home every day. Uh, <laughs> Bellevue Christian, and then Chinook Junior High, Duh. and then Clyde Hill Elementary School. <laughs> and God. I wore my cobalt blue sweater with pride and we made we got made fun of all the time and laughed and mocked at for going to sacred fart and oh, um, you know and uh, <laughs> and uh, but I but I have to be honest with you I never I never covered up the fact that I was a Catholic school kid mm. and 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 I don't know why I mean I just like I just I was a team player I guess you know wow. I just didn't you know and I look back and that I'm like wow that's actually kind of amazing because yeah. you know for as self-conscious as I grew up to be, uh, I wasn't about that. You know, I it I would I wore it more boldly. Mm. I put it on on the wow. way through. Yeah. You know, but uh, but at any rate, I mean, so that gives you a little bit of a you know a little bit of the texture. You know, when I got into seventh grade, and you know, for those of you who have been through uh, the way and heard. You know, you, you'll know, you'll be familiar with bits and pieces of the story. But one of the things that I also, I struggled with a lot as a child was depression. I was a, I was a very depressed kid. And without going into the whole story, the, 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 the short of it is, is that I had a condition that I didn't know about called hypoglycemia. So I had really low blood sugar chemistry in my brain and in my body. And so it made me feel really awful in lots of ways, but one of those ways was mm -hmm. I was depressed all the time. So I was a very melancholic child, and, and uh, you know, I kind of developed a disposition of just complaining and kind of self-pity and negativity and, and uh, you know, um, very critical, nothing was ever good enough or right, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm still trying to slay those dragons to this very day. Um, you know, that's part of my ongoing conversion is to 
is to lean into true hope, to put on the mind of Christ, to mm. keep my mind on the higher things, you know. But, but, but as a child, I just, I just really struggled with that, and so I hit kind of a real low point in junior high. Part of that is just I was super small, um, very young looking for my age. Every, you know, everybody's going through puberty except for Mike. It's the small, shortest kid in the class, you know. Constant jokes about my height and my size, you know. Uh, I, I just, you know, I, I had a, a small man's complex. Mm. I was brutally um, aggressive and competitive on the, you know, in the in the sports arena with whatever we were playing yeah. because I was always out to prove that I sure. could do it, you know. And, um, you know, but I think that I just always kind of felt this fundamental sense of rejection because of that. And I kind of grew to kind of not like kind of how I was made, mm. both because I was sort of, there was a depth to me, which was part of my melancholy, you know, part of why I was depressed is I found it hard to relate to my peers because I always wanted to go deeper and everybody made fun of me for that. Like, why are you so serious, Darian? And I was like, Darian, you know, and the other joke was, hey, need help getting up on the curb there? You know, it was always, it was either small jokes okay. or you're too serious. And so junior high, you know, was a terrible time and, uh, and, I, was, and I was very depressed. Uh, very depressed uh, when I look back on it. So I guess my next God moment, uh, you know, I, I had a friend in junior high. Her name was Erin uh, Hart, and, um, you know, she had a very difficult life. Uh, her family background was very broken, and um, my my recollection is that she, she, that she suffered some, you know, abuse in her home. and But she just always had such a cheerful spirit um, and a magnanimous soul and she was a she was kind of a poet she could write beautifully and she always helped me on my essays in school because I couldn't write to save my life and <laughs> had my reading comprehension was horrible my spelling was horrible I wasn't good in school that was also part of my problem part of that was sugar related because I just couldn't concentrate and sit mm. still but but at any rate um, she was a good friend I remember I asked her I remember very specifically asking her one day what but I don't understand like I come from this great family and I'm depressed all the time and you come from this like horrible family experience and you're always happy. Like, like I just, you're always cheerful. Like I, how does that, why, why is that? How do you do that? And she, uh, she said to me, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but she says, you know, I just know that God loves me unconditionally mm. and, and he loves you too. And, and, and that was the very first time that I would say that that sense of God's protection over my life was, was transformed at that time to a sense of God's presence in my mm. life. Like I really, I really knew in my heart, I experienced and I felt in my heart God's love for me. Um, and so God wasn't just sort of a shield to protect me against the evils of the world, which is kind of my, my childhood image of him, but he became... Uh, my consolation in dark places. So that, um, and a sense of presence. So that, I mean, I have to say, that's a profound gift to be in junior high. And, uh, that, that's just, you know, that's just so unmerited. It's so un yeah. it's, you know, I didn't ask for that. Uh, I just, I was sincerely curious and this little, you know, classmate of mine, um, you know, evangelized me, I wow. guess you could say. So, and then it was about a year later that, that I, we, we had a, a fire drill, and I was standing outside. It was springtime. It was kind of a cloudy day. I was standing outside, and I just had this tremendous sense of providence in my life. And so part of um, that, that experience of God's closeness in my life then turned into this sense of calling. 
Um, and I, but I remember, I mean, I can remember it as clear as day. I just had this sense that I was going to do something for God, but I didn't know what. I, I just, it was like, it was so vague. You know, it was like, it was like staring into space and saying somewhere out there is a planet you're going to live on. <laughs> and you're just like, you know, trying to like, well, I wonder where it is, you know. Mm. But it was just a sense of providence, a sense of calling. You know, and, and honestly, like, it, it, it kind of passed. And, you know, I just, I, I'm just a kid, you know what I mean? I'm still struggling with all the same things. I'm, you know, I'm just trying to make it through school. I sucked at school. I, I made it on the playground, you know. I, I made sure, you know, everybody knew how... how good I was at playing football or soccer or baseball or whatever, you know, mm -hmm. skiing, you know, whatever I did. I was a very athletic kid. But um, but anyway, jumping ahead a little bit in the story, I mean, this is kind of weird milestone, but but as I'm going through, um, you know, uh, my ninth grade year, I had a friend, a neighbor who uh, was really into the group U2, and he was like, you got to listen to this band. He had actually just discovered them, and I went over to his house one day, and he's like, you got to listen to this band. Like I'm ninth grade. I was into Van Halen and the Scorpions and, you know, <laughs> kind of like hard rock yeah. at the time. And I remember he played, he turned on uh, Under a Blood Red Sky, the, the live recording from Red Rocks in Denver. Uh, and, um, and I mean, I was just electrified. And for me, it wasn't, it, it was, the sound of the music was amazing. Mm. But the lyrics, I like, I just felt like, there was a level of, you know, call it poetry in that music that mm. spec spoke to the depths of my own thought processes. Yeah. You know. And you're in ninth grade. I'm in ninth grade. Wow. And I just, like, I call that the moment when I, be I became socially conscious. Mm. Like, I became aware of the world as a place that was a battleground for good and evil and that somehow I had a place in fighting that battle. Like, that was... Um, yeah. Wow. I don't know. I don't know how to expand on that really because it was it was pretty nascent at that point, but I just I listened to every single album of theirs and you know, the, the war album had preceded that. So Sunday Bloody Sunday, New Year's Day. I mean, yeah, yeah. I just yeah. like I couldn't I I just became a U2 like nut. Hmm. And uh, I still am. But um but at any rate, I um but then jump ahead again, I went on a retreat um in uh in junior high and, uh, or I mean, in, in my junior year, it's kind of like Kairos, you know, that kind of retreat. Yeah. And that was another big milestone where I just, um, I experienced a lot of healing on that retreat, um, from, you know, just things, uh, particularly, um, you know, I have a sister with Down syndrome and, and growing up with a sister kind of in the shadow of my mom's attention to her and, and feeling a lot of kind of emotional neglect or just, just absenteeism for my yeah. mom. You know, my mom's a wonderful, she, she was an amazing woman, but, you know, growing up with, with a sister so close in age with Down syndrome was, has its own challenges. And that was part of, I think looking back now, I realized that was part of my depression too. Like I just felt um, a little bit emotionally abandoned. I, I was very needy and needed a lot of attention and wanted a lot of attention and, um, and I think it goes back to that. But I received a letter from my mom in that retreat where she she all but, it, you know, she basically just admitted, like, I, I'm sorry. You mm. know? Yeah. So, so that was powerful. That was like a big a moment of healing for me in a very godly moment. And that's really when I think the the path of my life 
towards a kind of theological education, and that's when that began to emerge. And uh, and again, you, you know, a little bit more of the backstory. Like I hated school. I wasn't. I I, I didn't study. I was in the B track. But I, I just something was continued to come alive in me, uh, in in my mind and my thinking and my awareness of what was going on, and I wanted to just, I wanted to respond at such a deep level of myself, mm. and others in my school noticed that, you know. So I got tapped to go to leadership camp at CYO leadership camp in the summer, and I got poured into by that experience in the campus ministry at my school, I came back and I led those retreats the next year. And so this kind of leadership track started opening up for me and, and I led, you know, we call it destiny was the name of that retreat, but, um, but, but I led that and, um, and something very, very, very profound happened in my senior year. Um, and, uh, and that was that um, I had a teacher there. Her name was Miss Ketter. She was there for three weeks. She was 24, 25 years old, and she was on the wait list for the PhD program at the University of Notre Dame in theology. And she didn't have a textbook. She gave us an article on rowing. And the whole article was about man's ability to transcend himself and, f- and transcend suffering for the sake of a higher good. So I was, I was, I mean, I was leveled by that article. Like, mm. I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a theologian. And that was really when I, you know, I wasn't going to, I was actually in a band at the time. I didn't want to go to college because I sucked at school. Um, and I just hated school. I hated academics. Mm. But suddenly, like, that all changed. I was, and then she left, and then we went back to the textbook, and I was bored out of my mind. But, you know, I, was, I, I wrote my, my senior paper on, on, on uh, the Northern Ireland problem because, you know, I was, of course... Because of you, too. Because of you, too. I was so versed in all of that and, and was, you know, starting to be interested in things like apartheid in South Africa and the death penalty. And, I mean, mm-hmm. I was just, like, passionate about all these kind of social issues and... Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I just knew what I, you know, that I wanted to study theology and, and could see myself teaching it someday. Well, you know, I guess that worked out. But, <laughs> um, but I, I, the other thing I, I have to say before the story turns, because that's all lead up, because while I was going through all of those experiences and growing up, not unlike you, um, I developed from a very early age because of some very tragic and unfortunate situations, circumstances that happened when I was about seven or eight. I developed, you know, a, a terrible sexual addiction, and 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 so I had that same monkey on my back, and uh, and and lived in you know deep pits of shame and filthiness. Um, I will say this though, I did see pornography when I was very young. And I was very turned off by it. And so I'd never looked at pornography. So I'll just leave it at that. I'm very yeah. grateful for that yeah. because I don't know what I would be if, if that had happened for me. Yeah. But unfortunately, as I got older and I got into my later high school years and into college years, I got very sexually active with females. So that's not necessarily better. It's just different. And yeah. you kind of went a different route in that way. But... All of that's going on while all this other stuff is going on, and yeah. I think it's important. So 
when I ended up at Gonzaga in, you know, freshman year in college, you know, I, I waited a little while, but I eventually, you know, pretty quickly declared myself as a theology major. And, you know, to make kind of a long story short, I, I was introduced to a lot of theology that uh, really wasn't authentically Catholic. Mm-hmm. And, and so I learned and I embraced a lot of things that really led me in a very kind of rationalistic and a very, very far left-leaning direction. So I already had sort of a proclivity towards kind of, you know, social issues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And by the end of my senior year, you know, I was a, you know, I was, I was your typical, you know, Marxist, you know, kind of mm. theology, yeah. social justice warrior. You know, I visited based Christian communities and liberation theology, you know, centers down in Latin America. And I ran groups on campus and, and, uh, and, you know, I, I was, I was, uh, a, a kind of like focused on scripture studies and also social ethics. And I, I learned in my classes lots of interesting things, but I also learned to not believe in the, uh, you know, the divine origin of Scripture and mm-hmm. in the in the miraculous um, stories of, you know, like I just, I, I, I was taught all of the natural and dismissive explanations for every miracle in the Bible. I basically became a naturalist and a rationalist mm-hmm. and really lost my quote-unquote Catholic faith. I remember going to Mass. I never stopped going to Mass, but when I'd go to Mass, I would, I would omit certain lines of the creed because I didn't believe them anymore. Like, I didn't believe in the resurrection of the body, mm. and I didn't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I didn't believe in the virginal, you know, uh, Mary. You know, I didn't—I I, just—you know, I didn't believe walking on water, multiplication of loaves, and, and uh, I mean, I, you know, I can go on and on. But I, I, I got an A-plus, 100% of my senior thesis, for proving beyond a shadow of a doubt, of course, that there was no biblical evidence for the primacy of Peter. <laughs> And, uh, you know, so anyhow. Um, Good for you. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I graduated top of my class. Uh, I got into Harvard Divinity School. And, uh, you know, so my, my intellectual life was kind of wrecked in some regards, although I still got a good, in, I got a good education in some respects. I, I, I learned how to think. I learned how to reason. I learned how to speak and write. And yeah. I got a lot of great tools, but I just, the content wasn't there for mm. me. And, uh, and you know the um, the depression, still unbeknownst to me, what the sources of that were, and combined with my uh, my string of dysfunctional, broken girlfriend slash sexual relationships, uh, landed me in a a really really horrible place. By the time I was twenty one, I was you know uh, in a place of deep nihilism and just you know. And it's what's what's weird about all this is I never stopped talking to God the whole time. Mm, mm. I never stopped praying. I never stopped believing that God existed. I never stopped feeling that call that I had. I ne- none of that. But part of that became kind of an agony to me because, because what I rejected was, was Catholicism or you know Catholic Christianity or just Christianity. Like, I... I um, I just can't, you know, I just came up with kind of my own version of it, I guess you could say, and yeah. and had my own theological arguments. I mean, it was all based on stuff I learned in in my classes, yeah. but it, it just wasn't recognizably Christian mm-hmm. or much right. less Catholic, you know. So, so I was just kind of lost. And I remember I, in my twenty first year, you know, coming up on my twenty first birthday, I was just like, I was in a horrible, horrible place, um, kind of in between relationships, you know, I'd been. I'd broken off a two and a half year relationship and then rebounded a couple times and then sort of 
was in between and got dumped really hard by the last girlfriend I had, and I was just like, I was miserable. And uh, and I remember, um, you know, I remember uh, just there was a song. I was I was into the Indigo Girls, of course I was, Um, (laughs) and played guitar and wore my Birkenstock. We can edit that later if you want. But there is there's a song "Hammer and a Nail" uh, that I really I still like that song by them and I and there's a there's a verse there, um, uh, you know, there's one line. It says, "I see my I see my face on the surface. I look a lot like Narcissus, a dark abyss of an emptiness, standing on the edge of a drowning blue." Mm. And then the whole song is about how you got to pick up a hammer and a nail and stop thinking your you know self to death, mm. and you gotta you gotta get out of jail. And and I was very inspired by that song because I, I realized that it's like, you know, I was so trapped in my head and so trapped in my melancholy and myself and, blah, you know, and, and I just didn't know where to turn. And so on my 21st birthday, you know, I was I was really struggling at that time with a lot of suicidal ideation and just just really wondering whether my life was worth it. And so it was my 21st birthday. I'm all alone. No one to celebrate with. I'm at Gonzaga still. I'm, I'm, I'm graduated. I've been out a year, but I was working on campus and stuff. And so I remember I climbed up on top of the building, you know, and I asked, you know, I just looked down on the, on the, on the pavement, you know, two stories down. It wasn't that high, but probably when it killed me knowing my luck, but, um, but I, but I looked down, I thought, and I remember thinking, you know, gosh, it would be so easy just to end it right here. I, I, but I said, but I don't, I don't want to die. And, and I looked up and I just, I said, I yelled, I yelled at the top of my lungs. What in the F do you want me to do with my life? Mm. And I, I, re, I, I remember just um, the silence, the wind blowing through my ears. There was no response. Mm. There was no response. It was just, and I, and then I just said, F you. Like, I was so mad at God at that point. I'm like, you know, it's like crying, you know, I thought you had a plan for my yeah, life. Yeah, right, right. Now I can look back and Lord said, well, I did have a plan, but you didn't exactly <laughs> yeah, follow right, it. <laughs> right, right. Um, you know, or, you know, maybe this is part of the plan that, you know, you have to run ashore and you've got to learn some painful lessons because, you know, mm. I have things that I need to say to people through you. But at any rate, kind of kind of Augustine, I, I relate to Augustine's story mm. a lot. Yeah. And, um, you know, so it, 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 was, it was very painful, but, you know, jumping ahead about a year, you know, I know the story's getting kind of long here, isn't it? But um, as I jumped ahead, you know, about a year, I, um, I you know, I kind of hit bottom again um, through another, you know, stupid relationship that ended badly. And uh, I won't go into all the details of that story, but I, I, I did, I, I was living at Seattle, in Seattle now, and I, and I, and I um, drove across back to Spokane to um, try to connect with my my ex girlfriend, and uh, and she um, anyway she didn't receive me very well, and I ended up uh, having no place to stay that night. And I ended up in her in her basement in a storage closet on a mattress with not even a blanket or a pillow. Um, very degrading and humiliating, and just like the bottom of the bottom, like. I, I just remember feeling myself. I just was so full of self-loathing, and I just hated myself, my life. It's like you're just so pathetic, you know, just capital L loser across my forehead. And and it was so hard because 
again, against the background of everything I took so much time to explain on the front end about my family and all the beautiful things that God had done in my sure. life, it was just so painful. How did I end up here? You know, like, how did I end up here? And, um, you know, so anyway, I got up, I left, you know, with the crack of dawn, got in my car and started driving. And I'm driving across the state and, and I'm, and I'm really weeping. I'm, I'm just crying. And, and, uh, and I, I, thanks to uh, a friend of mine who invited me on a retreat earlier that year, um, I ended up with this prayer card in my wallet, the prayer to the Holy Spirit. And, uh, so by the grace of God, I had enough sense to pull that out and start praying it. And I prayed it and prayed it and prayed it for about two hours. <laughs> and, uh, and then suddenly I just felt like what felt like weight that just fell from my shoulders. And, and, um, and, and I just felt this light come pouring into my soul. Um, and a levity, like a levity, a lightness, yeah. like all the melancholy, all the depression, all of the, the shame. It just like it just literally fell off of me, and uh, it was. And then I stopped crying, and I just was like, I, I just, I, I didn't even know what to make of it because it was so weird. Mm. Like I've never, like I've never felt like mm. I've never felt this before in my whole life. Like what is this, you know? And uh, so anyway, I got home, and uh, and. Um, I was uh, living in a house in Seattle with a bunch of people I hardly knew, and I, I went down to my room, and I, I literally fell on my knees, you know, I, you know, like they say, I got on my knees, I was sort of folding my hands against my bed, and, uh, and, I, and I said, Lord, my way sucks, and, I, and then I pledged a promise um, to him that from that moment forward, I would do anything and everything he asked of me. Mm. So anyhow, what I heard him say at that moment was, I want you to put your running shoes on and go for a run around Green Lake, which is a big lake in Seattle that everybody runs around. So I did. I put on these shoes and I went for a jog and, uh, and I, uh, and I never, and then he told me, I, you are never to look back on your life. And, uh, and so I, uh, I didn't, I, I just began to, uh, do everything that he mm. asked of me. And it was mind-blowing, the doors that started yeah. flying open in my life, you know. It was less, well, it was about two years later that I ended up at Franciscan University of Steubenville getting my theological education sorted out. And I met my wife, and I got married a year later, and, uh, you know, I continued my theological education, you know, and 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 the Lord set me on the on the straight and narrow path. And and much like Saint Paul and Augustine, I had to unlearn a lot of things that I thought I knew, mm. and I had to relearn a lot of things that I didn't know, in order to be used, you know, in mm. the in the vineyard uh, as a teacher. So I guess I'll I'll sort of conclude, you know. There's so much more, but but I'll conclude <laughs> by just saying this that yeah. you know. The Lord led me into moral theology, um, and and I think I know why. You know, because I think that from my own experience, I've I've learned a lot about the the moral struggles of our age. Mm. Very much a victim of them, but mm. also very much um, I think 
called, uh, I guess you could say to teach others, you know, but mm. not from a place of having never been, you know, scathed and right. scarred and deeply wounded by, you know, living in a post-sexual revolutionary, you know, time, but, but, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it's obviously a blessing now, you know, and mm. uh, the Lord continues to to do wonderful things yeah but uh anyhow yeah i think what's fascinating about about uh just you know my story your story is um there's these uh, maybe a couple of things that i think are similar and this might be similar to sort of everybody's um conversion story if if they're aware of it and have reflected on it that there's usually a moment where you have this you 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 definitely have this sense of a presence of God. It might not be again, it might not be very mature, but but that exists. You know, you you shared about that girl in in uh junior high maybe or ninth yeah. grade or wherever that was like I know that God loves me, you know? Like there was a moment there where you were like, wow, you know, pr- probably one of those little like I want that moments. So, so that kind of, and it seems like that drove you, you know, you were making these decisions, you're listening to YouTube. I don't know if these decisions, if you would look back, you would be like, oh, it was all because I wanted to consciously like serve the Lord. Or if it was just like, God was peripherally there. I knew he was there, but, but I was doing this, you know, like by my own will. But I think the other thing that's really interesting is like, typically there is that defining moment. You know, and again, it it might not be super huge, but you know, mine was that like pit of shame where I, I just felt so helpless and hopeless, and just I couldn't feel worse about myself. And yours was that drive. It sounds like that drive back from that like humiliating uh, night that you spent in a basement closet, like. And it's just like, it can't... It was a storage room. Come on. A storage room. Okay. <laughs> it can't get any worse. You know, like, it, there's a... Def- it's... A well, lot it, of times there can, is a... but... It, well, right. But I mean... Can, but, right. But it was, it was awful. And it was awful because it was so empty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's a defining moment yeah, for you, yeah, you know? And sure. the, other, the other thing I find interesting, and, and then I'll stop, but is that but my story is different from yours in the sense that, like, the Lord had always always put people in my path whether i whether i was like necessarily conscious of it or not but i can look back and be like oh yeah that person you know that priest at saint vincent that friend in uh in my hometown put people in my path that were solidly catholic like that never told me something that made my made my like desire or my love of being catholic waver you know like Mm -hmm. the archbishop for heaven's sake like you you know like you're a part of my story and every step of that way i've the lord is always and it's (laughs) he knows you know he knows me and he's probably he probably knows that i need that and so i've been really blessed to have people in my life who have always steered me towards jesus in the Catholic Church, you know, like, and it sounds like in your story, you may not have had those, like, super strong, you know, you went to a a school where you're learning a theology that's, like, you know, off the rails, and 
So it's like, that's a real struggle that you had to go through to kind of like come to that point in a sense without the accompaniment of, of, uh, that consistent solid figure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I will say this and, um, that God put, you know, same as you, there were always people along the way that were being a good example to me. I Even professors at Gonzaga, I had some, but they just weren't in the theology department. They were in other, like, history. I had a gotcha. great history professor, Father Schlatter, for example, you mm-hmm. know, and, and uh, Father uh, Crawl in campus ministry. I mean, these were good, solid priests, you know. Um, but 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 I also, I you know, I was... You know, I was I was easily led astray by people that impressed me, you know, intellectually, and uh, you know, so there's a lot of myself in that. But yeah. but along the way, and in in that critical period for me in my early twenties, when I was really you know like hitting the bottom, you know, a, a childhood friend of mine really stepped in to the gap, and and that's a whole part of the story. Mm. I didn't I you know didn't have time to tell, but <laughs> but he but he led me, you know, he came alongside me. And, and listened and helped and invited me to join the choir, you know, at St. Louis Parish. And he invited me to go on this retreat. And he invited me to join a small men's group. And, and all of those people were the people that really helped me turn the corner yeah. as the Lord was starting to, like, that's yeah. how God, he, that's how he kind of yeah. helped me. So, you know, I think it's important that we, there's all, you know, you think of Augustine, there was, you know, there was his mother and there in mm. St. Ambrose and others who are witnesses along that journey who call us, you know, and, and they, once that call gets a hold of us, it's, it won't let go, you know, and, yeah. and, and it just, right. it, 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 it's like that, the old hound of heaven, you know, mm. just keeps coming after you. And finally you, you yield, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. acquiesce, you're right. like, Lord, I can't, I'm, uncle, yes. I can't take this anymore. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, oh, I was waiting for you to say that. Mm. So I don't know. I think it would be, um, I know we're, we're we gotta, we gotta wrap here, but, but I always say that and I laugh. It's like I feel like we should start a wrap. <laughs> we gotta wrap up. We gotta we gotta yeah, stop. Yeah. Um maybe we should come back next week and we should unpack our conversion just conversion stories a little mm. bit more and just mm. drill into some of the some of the features of those experiences. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot to mine here and maybe this turns into you know a three part uh you know, three part uh podcast series on conversion because I just mm. think I, there is so much. Uh, there is, and to most the conversion and I, experience. So let's do yeah, that. But. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people just to, yeah. My closing thing is everybody, every single person has a story, whether you whether you're aware of it or not. The beauty is when you do, uh, like, allow yourself to become aware of it, and that that you can you can change people's hearts through the witness of your story. You know, so yeah, it's true, and and. That's really how we're called to evangelize and change people's hearts is is to tell our story, you cool. know, and uh, and to continue reflecting on the many ways mm. that God shows up in our life so that we get better and better at telling that yeah. story more honestly and more truthfully. So awesome. Anyhow, until part two. Okay. All right, man. Have a good rest of your day, man. <laughs> you too. All right. Bye. See ya. The Wise Guys Podcast is a production of Preambule Group, a Catholic ministry dedicated to helping you thrive in the heart of Jesus. Visit us on the web at preambula.org and follow us on social media.